we start each and every episode talking through some helpful points about Jane, our favorite practice management software. With Jane, you can schedule clients, chart, and process payments all online. Jane recognizes that as a new therapist, it may seem daunting to enable online booking, especially as you establish your rhythm and schedule. So this week, we'd love to share a few ways you can leverage online booking with Jane to reduce your admin load and continue to retain control of your practice. As a new therapist in private practice, I started building my caseload. This took a bit of time, but eventually it started to pick up and I reached a point where I needed to pump the brakes a bit. I was really excited about this but quickly realized I needed a way to ensure my existing clients could continue booking with me without completely turning my online booking site off. With Jane, I can do this. I was able to give my existing clients that ability by enabling online booking for them only, and I could use my online booking site to indicate that I would resume taking new clients at a later date. I love the ability to add my shifts into Jane and let my clients know when I'm available. I think of this like my office hours. I'll add when I'm working into Jane, say 9 a.m. to 12 a.m. on Mondays and set that shift to bookable online. This means any of my clients can book a session in that time period. Online booking with Jane works seamlessly with your practice's schedule, meaning that when someone books online, it shows up in your schedule in real time. And while online booking is incredibly valuable for your clients, it needs to have value for you too. It's understandable that you want to maintain control over who gets to book in with you as you grow your caseload. So here are ways Jane helps you to do just that. Set which shifts are bookable online. You can set a shift to call to book so your clients can still identify times that work for them within your shift, but they need to call or email to reserve that time. This is great if you're not quite ready to fully turn online booking on, but still want your clients to be knowledgeable about your availability. Jane also allows same day booking if you'd like. Or you can tell Jane what your booking window is. If it's 8 a.m. and you don't want clients booking within a four-hour window, or in this case before 12 p.m., just let Jane know. Set a practice-wide cancellation period, meaning clients will only be able to cancel an appointment on their My Account page outside of this period. At the end of the day, online booking frees up a lot of our time administratively. It comes as a benefit to both of us and our clients, and we're thankful we can still retain control over who can book online. If you're still on the fence about Jane, head over to jane.app backslash mental health to connect with one of their support team members. They'll be able to answer any lingering questions you have about online booking or anything else related to the software. You can dig into some of the other features we haven't mentioned just yet, like one-on-one telehealth and charting. If you are ready to sign up for Jane, don't forget we have a one-month grace period for all of our Edge of the Couch listeners. Just mention the show in your sign-up notes and the Jane team can apply the discount to your account. This podcast is not training or supervision. This is an invitation to delve into these really big topics. When we are talking about clients, please know it is not you. It is a weaving together of stories that come up over and over again. With Edge of the Couch, we are here to create a space to delve into the topics that were either shied away from or dismissed because they were too big, too nuanced, too risky, or too uncomfortable to discuss in school or even supervision. We are two passionate therapists sharing our personal opinions about the therapeutic process. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Edge of the Couch. I'm Allison McCleary. I'm Jordan Piquel. And today we are tackling the topic of free consults. So free consultations, 
offer to clients to pop in to get a sense of you before they decide to book a full session or not. This is something that typically happens in private practice, but that initial meeting, that first initial contact also happens in practicum, also happens in nonprofit settings. So I do think that this is also valuable for folks who work outside of the private practice setting. Even if you never offer a free consult, some of these things are still going to come up in your first session with clients. When we first became therapists, like I don't really remember it being offered as much. And now it feels like it's way more normative. Most people in private practice offer a consult. Yeah, they like expect it. Clients expect it. Yeah. Though I don't know that everyone knows what it is. Even as a new therapist, I wasn't sure what it is. Like, is it a first session? What is it? And um, some people offer 30-minute consults or even like a full 50-minute consult. Do not do that. It's not a waste of your time, but kind of it can be a big waste of your time and energy. I mean, so let's start there. Like, what is a consult? A consult is the initial contact with a potential client. You are each assessing whether or not you're going to be a good fit to work together in therapy. And it's an opportunity for them to ask any questions, like logistical questions, the kind of standard basic questions, but also questions about you that help to inform them about whether or not you're the therapist that they would want to work with. And so it really is a, a get to know you and a brief kind of chance to say, here's what I'm like, here's what you're saying you need. Now you have more information. Because when we just book a first session with a, with a, with a therapist and we don't really know a ton about them, that can feel kind of weird or, or scary. Yeah. And it opens up, like in terms of relational therapy, it really opens up the conversation of like, let's talk about our relationship. Yeah. And to really set it from the beginning that that's the most important thing. Yeah. And it's pretty, it can be really empowering to clients to tell them, you get to choose who your therapist is. Yeah. You get to go shopping. What do you typically say? You know, because I kind of have my own spiel of what I say in a free consultation. So what do you offer and what do you say? I mean, I haven't taken new clients for a long time now, but um, when I did, I did, I I think a 15 or 20 minute. I don't do even a full half hour to me. Felt like a lot of time to give away, but also you just end up chatting too much. Like it ends up, it's very easy then to slip into like, we should just turn this into a full session, which I have never done. So I will never be like, this is a consult and we can transition into a session if we want to. It's either a session or it's not. Um, So I always start with here is what you can expect from today. Today is about you asking questions, any questions that you have about what to expect. It's a chance for you to get to know how I practice. It's a chance for us to see if we're going to be a good fit. I always say, you know, my job, one of my jobs during this conversation is just to to keep my eye on the time. So I know it will feel like, wow, we really didn't get a chance to really dig into things, but that's on purpose because that's what we want to do later on if we decide to book a full session together. Mm -hmm. Um, Because otherwise clients will just, if you do not set up a container, it is very easy for a consult to get messy and be very like client sharing lots. Um, but remember, if I mean, at my consults, a client hasn't signed a consent form yet. So you don't want to bump into the in, to like the situation in which you haven't signed paperwork, but a client goes into really deep stuff. You realize all of a sudden you have to like maybe call MCFD or you need to do a suicide assessment. Like things get really tricky there. So it, it I do try to keep it really contained. Mm, yeah, it can be really important to say, upfront, this is what this is for. Mm-hmm. You know, that we're mm-hmm. not getting into necessarily the nitty gritty. Yeah. The nitty gritty of what yeah. you're bringing in. And I used to, when I was new into private practice, would ask, so what are, tell me a little bit about what you're coming to counseling for, which is not a question that you should ask in a consultation because it's going to take up the whole time. And it kind of sets the container of like almost like a first initial session in 15 minutes, which is not a good idea. 
I do kind of go there a little bit in my um, consults. So I'll ask, I used to ask, what brought you here? Don't do that anymore. That's a mistake. But I'll ask something like, what are you hoping to get out of therapy? And for me, that helps me to understand, is this person looking for someone who's a bit more solution focused, which I'm not? Is this person looking for like longer term therapy? You know, so so I do. And that does kind of open the floodgates to some degree, but less so than, yeah, you're right. Like what's been going on that led you to therapy? Yes. Don't ask that question. No, no. <laughs> yeah. So I talk a little bit about who I am, how mm -hmm. I work. Mm -hmm. And as a new therapist, that might be hard to articulate. So we do have we do have a workshop coming up. Yeah, we do. For new therapists, which can really help set you up for your free consultations and how you talk about your work. Who are you specifically? How what's your style? How do you work in ways that do not include jargon because clients yeah, don't, don't get that. It. So it's like, what mm -hmm. can I expect if I work with you? Um what is it going to feel like? And that's that's the first thing I say. I said, so for our conversation today, it's for us to get a feel for what it might be like to work together and for you to ask any questions you might have. <laughs> I really value doing consults because I do think it it's a common form to a degree, right? Like you get to ask tough questions maybe like, when did you graduate? How long have you been working? How much experience do you have These in this specific thing? And it also, I think, helps to screen out the people who will not be a good fit for you. This is the way, you know, there's so many ways consult is beneficial for clients, but there are lots of ways in which a consult is beneficial for us, the therapist too. If a client doesn't rebook, then that's a good thing. That means that they, they were like, nope, this isn't something about this isn't a fit. And for me, that means not that the client is a bullet to dodge by any means, but like you dodged a bit of a relational bullet if a person knows from the get-go that you're not a great fit for them. And now you aren't going to spend five, six sessions being like, huh, there's something going on here. Like I can't quite put my finger on and it really just comes down to fit. So it doesn't rebook after a consult. There's To me, it's like, oh, that's good. I'm glad that they realize that this is not right for them. But it also helps us stay within scope. So if I have a client who comes to me with something that is completely outside of my knowledge base and I know that I cannot offer them what they are looking Looking for. I'm not going to waste their time, their money, their emotional resources, my time, my money. Nope, not my money or my emotional resources, trying to treat them for something that I have no capacity to treat. I wonder how I, because I don't ask, what's bringing you into counseling? I don't think. It's been a while. That's the other thing. I just think about, yeah, I, I tell people, you know, my style, okay, therapy's going to be quite conversational. I like to bring more of myself into the session, like kind of yeah. speaking to those pieces mm -hmm. about what you can expect with working with me. And that's one of the common questions too is, what do we do with therapy? Because yeah, what is therapy? People, yeah. sometimes it's that first big leap of somebody going to see a therapist for the first time of like, like, yeah. book a 15-minute consultation, and I have no idea what to expect. So you're walking clients through, okay, so this is a 15-minute consultation. If you'd like to book, you would book with me, and we would, in the first session, we're just going to talk about what brought you into yeah. therapy and get mm -hmm. to know each other a little bit because you're also just trying to roll out the red carpet for them to see okay, this is, this is the next step. This is what I need to do. And it brings down the barriers for them to come to the, for the next session. That is a huge piece. I'm glad you're really glad you're naming it. The telling people what to expect from the first session, the first full session, because genuinely a lot of people do not know how a first session looks. They don't know what to expect. They come very nervous, very anxious. Sometimes um, having contained a lot of emotion for a long time, I do really love to give people a heads up. I'm going to ask a lot of questions in the first session because it's me trying to figure out what's going on for you. And, and then always saying to clients like, but we'll go where you want to go. And that's a piece of the consultation too, I think, is you're the boss. 
And that's the trauma-informed piece that you're talking about too, that setting what the first session is going to be like and knowing that you get to share what you want to share, that we're not going to just dive deep. Yeah. Yeah. And another common question that people will ask is what, like you said, what's your experience? When Mm -hmm. did you graduate? How many years have you been doing Mm this? How old are you? In the very beginning was so hard to like, I get as a newer therapist getting asked those questions. I remember being asked those questions in practicum and how scary that was to answer. It's really scary. Even as we're talking about this, I'm realizing that like the consult is actually really scary at the beginning because you have to time manage in a way that just is very tight. It's very tight. It's harder because they don't have the 45 minutes to like get the whole thing out that they wanted to say and you have to make sure that they don't go to that place. So there's a lot of containment and also it's really hard for me when people are like, tell me what you do in therapy. And I was just like, that is so hard for me. And so then thinking about what that was like for me when I was brand, brand new, like extra hard for me. When I was a practicum student, I would actually practice. I would actually write some of my like mm-hmm. main lines mm-hmm. down. I mean, that's also just like being a theater kid and wanting to know my lines. <laughs> but it really does help to get it the does. language. Like, how does it feel in your mouth mm-hmm. being able to say these clunky words that you haven't said before? And yeah. at some point, it just becomes so easy to do because you've said it like a million times. This is why when I'm working with students, I really do advise them to practice with someone, whether it's a like a classmate or a partner or a friend, like have a friend sit down and pretend to be a new client yeah. and give them a list of questions to ask you. And then do that like five or six times with various people. And, you know, be, I know you can say it into the mirror too if you don't want to get pull a drag a friend in. But, you know, it is really important to practice because it can feel really clunky. And so one way that we like avoid the clunkiness is you're right, like getting the words in the mouth and mm-hmm. how do we talk about, yeah, all the basics of therapy, which is a really not basic practice. So it's hard to yeah. refine it down to a, an elevator pitch, if you will. Yes. And again, the workshop that we're going to have, <laughs> we're going to talk about a little bit about the elevator pitch and how you speak about your own work because it isn't, in my mind, maybe it feels like this as a new therapist, but it isn't generic. That you're no. you know, a very unique mm-hmm. person exactly with a right. unique style and how do you speak about it so that clients can be fully informed about who is this person that I'm going to meet with. And I say that at the end of every session or the end of every consultation, I'll say, Notice how you feel during this call. Notice how you feel after the call. And if you would like to book with me, you're welcome to book through the system if that's how it's set up. Yeah. My online booking is set up. And if for any reason it doesn't feel like a good fit, feel free to reach out to me and I can give you some names of some folks that um, you might want to reach out to because it's good to shop around and the fit is the most important thing. Yeah. And that's where we can really separate our worth from client booking. Mm-hmm. that we can say and that's hard too i think it takes practice as well and like going to that i don't know if that's humility or to me it's just like separating like realizing like i have messed up consults and been like wow that was not mm-hmm. no no wonder they didn't book a session mm-hmm. with me like that was not smooth or that felt awkward whatever but i think for the most part we can separate like the i'm a bad counselor because they didn't book and just go like Actually, of course, I can send them referrals for other people, even if the people that I'm like, quote unquote, in competition with, yeah. right? If we think about niche and we think about presenting issue or whatever, but because it's okay and it doesn't say anything about my worth as a therapist that people don't always book with me. And sometimes they don't book right away, right? Here's like the they yeah. might book because it's a really big leap. So again, how do you bring down the barriers for them to book again? Because it is scary. Yeah, scary to take that next step. When I was a new therapist and feeling really nervous about building my 
client load, I think that that upped the stakes a little bit and made me more like salesy. And I would ask at the end of every call, would you like to book now? And I think that that energy also just wasn't a good energy to be going into consults with and that being able to say, think about it. And if it feels right, then book. And there's something really grounded and I don't know, comforting for that as a client. It's very empowering. Like, hmm. And I say, you know, think about, could I trust this person with my, you know, some of my most sensitive information? Um, Do I trust that they can take me where I want to go? So even just saying that to a client feels like, okay, they see me, they value that I have a choice here. There's just, yeah, something about the way, the words that you use, the way that you speak Mm -hmm. can also, can also create safety or, or, Uh, create trust. Yeah. It's like the paradox of like the harder that you try to make a client rebook, they feel less inclined to do so because it might feel like pressure. And the more that you're like, it's fine if you do or you don't, they feel safer to that book. Right? Yeah, I think so. I agree. I do think it's really valuable that we be acknowledging the stakes because when you're a new therapist and you're building a private practice and someone has reached out to you to book a consult, even if you are trying your best to be like, it's fine if they don't rebook, you are thinking about, I have to pay the rent. I really want to quit my full-time job. Like I'm not enjoying my agency work. There is that pressure. And so maybe it's about grounding before you go into those consults. Maybe it's about, I don't know, any way that we can say like, it's okay if this person doesn't book. And that means I'll attract more people who will book. Like, I don't know, but I remember early days of my practice saying yes to everyone, taking everyone, being very frantic about it because it is the scarcity feels real and it is real for a lot of us. Yeah. I guess that that's important to name because sometimes it's financial. Like, it's not 100%. just worth like a sense of like, oh, do people like me? Yeah. Um, do they see me as competent? Like the imposter syndrome piece, but it's also like, I need to make rent. I'm paying this office yeah. and I feel, do I need to? go start looking for jobs like there can be that anxiety piece and so that's where yeah privilege plays Mm -hmm. a role because Mm -hmm. if you have let's say um support from your parents or a partner who works full-time like there's it's i think it brings the pressure down of finding clients right away but that's just a that's just a fact of building a private practice is that it's not you will build it they will come you actually have to build it over time make relationships Mm -hmm. and so that that's an important thing to know as you're going in so that you're feeling less of that frantic. I need them to book. I need them to rebook after the first session. I need to kind of get them to rebook again. And yeah. then that's a very difficult thing when you're, you know, needing to make rent. Or as practicum students, needing hours. Because that's what I feel like I bump into with my students because they're not getting paid. They're counting every hour and they're, you know, subtracting it from the total that they need and they're looking at time frame. And I remember those times too. Like it is really discouraging when you're not getting the hours that you know you need and someone books a consult and then they don't book another session because they could have been 10 hours worth of time. And mm-hmm. it's shitty to think about clients in that way, but the programs are set up that it's hard not to. Yeah. Unless you're at a place where you have like ample hours and it's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, that's tough. Try to find a way to be grounded, have your answers ready, find a comfort level, and know that it's not you. Because, you know, talk about finances. Sometimes clients come to a consult and then they crunch the numbers and they realize they cannot afford therapy right now. Yeah. And that is just the truth of it. Mm -hmm. And that so that has nothing to do with you. When I was first in private practice, that was actually the scariest thing. That's the scariest part of the consultation is like telling them, because I wanted to tell them how much it costs, even though it's on the website. I know. It's very, like I'll say, it's very important in the consult to mention price Mm -hmm. because even if you put it in 10 different places. Sometimes clients will still not see it. We've said before, the very worst thing you can do is blindside a client after a session with how much that just cost them. Yeah. So, right. Go ahead. Yeah. So saying how much it cost and I – 
maybe wouldn't before or they would like negotiate me down. What? Yeah, that's what I'm saying is that I was so much of a, not a pushover or anything, but just like I wanted to serve people well and it felt like the imposter syndrome made it feel like I was not worth that amount that I was charging. And so, yes, I would say yes to whenever they wanted to book. Oh, you want to see me on a Sunday? Sure. I'll make myself available. (laughs) I'll make myself available and you won't have to pay me as much. And for sliding scale, it is important to be able to think about need, which is why, I mean, we've talked about before how sliding scale can be challenging, challenging. um, especially for a new therapist where you think that you're not, you know, everything feels like it's too much to charge, especially if you're enjoying the work. It's like, how are people charging me for this? (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Or how Mm -hmm. am I charging people for this? Yeah. Yeah. I've never had someone in a consult try to pay less, but I have had people try to barter with me Mm -hmm. using other services or other or goods and I'm like I can't it's a small town thing for it's sure it's a small town thing oh my yeah. gosh yeah it's never happened in Vancouver but yeah. it's happened in Terrace like multiple times where I'm like this is an example but it's like I can't trade you roofing for therapy and I've had some people off and then it's like really hard because I'm like you fit within my scope you seem like mm-hmm. a really great client we're a great fit I'd love to work with you and I cannot accept yeah I can't take payment as bartering Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah. We should, I mean, I don't know if we should have a whole episode about that at some point because it does seem like, oh, community feeling, you know, ethics. But it, it becomes like there's a really big case in BC where there mm-hmm. was a bartering issue and it became like a mode of exploitation. Yeah. People come into that space into a consult with varying degrees of socioeconomic stuff going on, varying degrees of willingness. So I think. What I've also bumped into is people coming because like a partner told them they need to go or Mm. something and they're clearly not ready for therapy. They're just like in (laughs) pre-contemplation, if you will. They don't really have a lot of questions for you. They have no idea what they want to work on. They're here because in my experience, it's mostly been men who've been sent by their women partners or wives and then told like you need to go to therapy to work on this thing. And then they come and they're like, Mm. I don't know why I'm here. And it's like, okay. That's really good for us to talk about now because maybe you're just not ready for therapy. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't have those clients. It's so interesting just like the, the different uh, – before we started recording, I was telling Allison that people will straight up ask me my racial background, my you know ethnic background, whether or not I'm queer, just like – point blank um, my experiences. And I would be prepared with those answers. Yeah. Um, if, if Yeah, totally. Like you could be asked any of those things. Mm-hmm. So good to practice, but. Yeah. And you were saying that you haven't been asked those no, questions. I've never before. been asked if I'm queer. I've never been asked my racial background, but I think that's because I look very identifiably Caucasian and there's like nothing in the mix there. And I must not present as very queer. Mm-hmm. No one's ever asked me. Mm-hmm. I just give off queer vibes. Queer <laughs> vibes, apparently. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, it's so funny the things that you bump into. And you'll all have this, right? As you graduate with your peers and your classmates, and then you go off to build private practices, maybe in different communities or different niches, mm-hmm. that you'll start to see like, oh, that has never. no one's ever offered me to barter. Mm, or no one's sure. ever asked me about my gender identity or no right. one's ever asked me what year I graduated or like religion. You know, We've religion talked about religion. Like that. some people might ask you your identities, your life experiences. Oh, have you ever been raped? Yeah. Clients will ask straight up stuff like that. Yeah. Have you ever lost anyone close to you? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you get to have boundaries around that. You don't have to answer. And yeah. how are you not going to answer? All of that is valuable information for yeah. them to know. 
And so how do you do that dance of like, I'm going to honor myself and my boundaries and be able to give this person information about whether or not we would be a good fit. And that's the thing is it's like you as a therapist absolutely have the right to not answer a question like, have you been raped? Have you ever lost someone close to you? And a client, I don't know, it's kind of tricky, but I'm just going to say it like it's real and then I'll nuance it afterwards. But you know, if a client is like, I actually need to work with someone who has close experience with this for me to feel safe, I think it's okay for clients to want that from someone. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't ha- you still don't have to disclose. And that just means that you don't have to do the work with that person and that's fine. But I can see why victims of sexual assault would rather work with someone who has that lived experience or people who have recently lost a spouse would rather work with someone who has experience in that way. Because sometimes we just need someone to get it in a way that maybe you or I, because we haven't had whatever that experience is, can't. And that's why I think people ask me point blank about my queer identity or my racial identity because they're trying to gauge, am I going to feel safe with this person? Exactly. And it's, it's very very tough like when people ask me about my racial background because I both identify as a woman of color and have immense privilege in that area and so I I feel the need to speak to that in the moment because there is a specific dynamic if I'm working with um, someone who is Mm dark-skinned and has a completely different life experience than me it's important to them it's important for me and for them in their safety for them to know that I know that there's a difference. Yeah. So I Mm -hmm. feel very put on the spot to be able to speak about that in the moment. And if you're somebody who, you know, has, I mean, their tender points, I always, after having that conversation, feel wonky of like, ooh, I feel exposed. And I wonder how that was, how that was received. And how do I feel about myself and my own identities right now? It can be really loaded, these consultations. Our worth comes up, our identity comes up. And you're doing it all in 15 minutes. <laughs> like, here's the other thing, right? Like, yeah. we, thought, we named that question is deservedly so nuanced, and you want to make sure the client hears you, and you've got 35 seconds to answer. Yeah. And that's where maybe we have to be flexible and fluid. Like, maybe we go to 20 minutes sometimes. You know, I'm not going to cut a client off who's bawling their eyes out and be like, we've made it to the 15 minute mark. You get to decide if you want to book a session now or not, mm-hmm. right? If they're right in a story, but we are also the timekeepers. That's one of our jobs. The last time I was doing consultations was in 2020, and at that time, I uh, I'm pretty sure that they almost all stayed within 15. Most of them Me stayed too. within 10. I like the last ones I did before, which again, mine would yeah. have been yeah, maybe 2020 as well. Mm-hmm. I'm I've gotten pretty good at it. Yeah, so it's yeah having those answers down and speaking in a way that again is holding the container, kind of saying, we would talk about this in the future. Um, The way Mm -hmm. that you orient your language can be like, we're not talking about that now. We would, if we work together, this is what I might. Yeah. This is what I might do with um, the presenting issue. Sometimes people are talking with you right up until that 15-minute mark. And I've had times where it's like five minutes in and they're out of questions yep. and I've said everything I need to say. Mm-hmm. And that's why I actually, when I start, I'll often say, we have up to 15 minutes. <laughs> we don't have to be here for 15 minutes like because that's just like pulling teeth with some people. But I like to talk about my feedback-informed treatment approach where I'll say to them, like, I will be seeking feedback from you about what works and what doesn't. Anyway, we haven't talked, I don't think, about as deeply about feedback-informed treatment. We could do a whole session about it or a whole episode about it. But I do like to name that. Like when we start working together, I will be actively seeking your feedback so I can know what's working and what's not working. And this is what that looks like. And that really, and I do like a ton of a mini check-in at the end. Like, how are you feeling as we've come to the end? Um, Is there anything more that you like kind of feel like it's really important for me to know or any last lingering questions? Mm -hmm. What are the most common questions that come up in a consultation? If we were to do like, I don't know, top five or something. 
what do we do in therapy? (laughs) Like a very basic, this is what therapy is question. And that is to me, some of the most difficult questions to answer. So it is, and now it's just kind of like, well, mostly it's a conversation. We go as far, you know, I ask you lots of questions and I bring you in touch with your own emotions and we get to go where you want to go. We get to go as deep as you want to go. It's my job to make sure that you're not completely overwhelmed in a session. So it's, again, setting it up to be trauma-informed for them to know that when they come in, they're not just going to like dive deep. What's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? That's where we start. Okay. So what is therapy or what should I expect from therapy? Yeah. I get asked from time to time, although I think people, because if you're not a therapist, you don't really know what the answers mean anyway, that people will ask me like, how do you practice? Yep. What's, What's your approach to therapy? What's your style? Yeah. I get that one a lot. Again, oh, I know my style. And then you go to describe it and you're like, oh my God, how do I talk about what I do every day? So that can be hard. I used to talk about theoretical orientation. I don't. People don't care about that. Unless they're clearly like a therapy savvy person and they're like, I've done EFT. Yeah, Um, I went to a DBT group. No, this is, what do you do? And so in that case, I might talk about my theoretical orientation, but generally I don't anymore. No, me neither. I I do say, you know, I talk about it being feminist in the sense that um, we talk about what goes on between us and we talk mm, about kind mm, of uh, mm. I'm not neutral and, and totally. that we talk about these larger systems that impact yeah. what's coming up in therapy. So I name some of those things without being like, it's relational cultural, it's yeah. feminist therapy. Yeah. And you kind of gauge how much does a person really want to know. Um, you're scaffolding their experiences and the words that they're using with um, the way that you're going to talk about the work. And that's why avoiding jargon is so huge. Mm-hmm. Unless you're talking to another therapist, your clients don't care about what you call that thing. They just want to know what it feels like to experience it. And that's where, again, it's like I go to be like, I'm very relational in my work. And that is more valuable, I think, than being like, I work through an existential lens. The hell does that mean? So that's a very common one. I don't just, I'm not just a sounding board. That was one of the things that I used to say a lot. I'm not just a sounding board. I will give you feedback about, you know, what's coming up for me when you're talking. Yeah, I say, I think you actually said it earlier. And I think we both say it, um, which is like, I bring a lot of myself into the space. Mm -hmm. I am not a blank slate. I'm not an empty chair that you can just talk to. Like I, Allison, am in the room with you mm-hmm. and we are in relationship. Yep. And sometimes clients don't like that and then they don't book with me because that's not what they want. They want a sounding board and that's totally fine unless you know that chit chat isn't therapy from last week. I think some other common questions that pop up are just like the logistical things. How much does it cost? How often should we meet? How long do you think this is going to last? Yeah. Oh, that's a very common one. Yeah. Is yeah. it, do I come in forever? Is yeah. Certain, and that's when it's like, you come in as much as you want. I say, you're going to get more out of therapy if you come regularly. And yeah. for some people that looks like every week. For some people, it's every other week. And I say every other week is the most common. Yeah. That is the most common. Every three weeks starts, tends to start getting less regular, but people do that too. I usually say, you know, for the first little bit, for the first four sessions, it's usually best to meet once a week or once every two weeks so that we can get to know each other and really build momentum together. And then Mm -hmm. after four sessions, we can reevaluate a pace that works for you. But if we go too long between sessions, oftentimes like just so much happens in life that then our next counseling session is just catching our counselor up with all of like we feel this desire to be like this happened and this happened and this happened. And if we can smoosh those together a little bit, Mm -hmm. it makes it just less happens to people in a week. I really like that. And so much happens to people in a month. I really like <laughs> you that. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's more – I like that because that's more of a container and what to expect than like come when you want. 
clients can book as little or, or as much as mm-hmm. they like. I, although I won't see a client two times a week personally. I find like if you book your intake and then a month later we have our follow-up session, we have no relationship foundation really to go yeah. back on and a million things will have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good thing I practiced that a million times. You said yeah. it a million times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like to tell – this is slightly to go back to what you were saying earlier about how do you practice is mm-hmm. what I don't do. So if people ask about CPT, you know, we've spoken about that this season about being able to say, I don't do CBT in the classic sense. I bring in tools and I don't offer lots of homework other than like, think about this this week. Percolate. That's what I was like. Sit with this and let it percolate. Yeah. Yeah. It can be really good to be able to speak to what you don't do as well. Yeah. That's actually really valuable. I mean, my experience has been, and I want to know if it's similar or different from yours, is that a lot of people come into session requesting CBT, Mm. not knowing what it is. Mm -hmm. That has happened, I think, very often for a lot of my clients because I get a lot of like primary care physician referrals. And during their primary care physician conversation with their provider about how mentally unwell they're feeling, often CBT comes up. So then they come and they're like, my doctor said that I should do CBT. And then I'm always like, tell me what you mean when you say that. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's some psycho ed about like, I don't work that way and here's why. Mm. And um, here's how I do use those things. But again, keeping your eye on the clock, you're kind of gauging what it is that the person needs from you. Some people need a lot more info and some people just want to meet you for a couple of minutes and see what you're like. And that's why if they don't seem to have any questions, it can be helpful to have a spiel about, well, this is who I am. This is my style and kind of giving them that information anyway and then telling them fits ultimately the most important thing. I encourage you to shop around. Yeah. Really, it's just it's to get a feel. Oh, and I also say something like, I trust, like your gut can give you a lot of information. That is huge. About yeah. this. So, mm. you know, notice how you feel now, notice how you feel later. And that can really um, give you some information about whether this is good. Cause some people, they're really just, they just want to hear your voice. Like, oh, this is a person. Yeah. It's so interesting to see the clients who need, again, they just wanted to get to know, they wanted, they were like, oh, you offer a free thing, I'll try it. You know, they're probably going to book a first session anyway, and they just really want to get a sense. And then there are the clients who like come with questions, need to know that you have answers for those questions before they're willing to book anything with you. But I have had a number of clients during a consult say, I'm feeling really good about this. Can can it just be a session Mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. I've never had that either, but I'm like, no, I, I don't, you can't in my, this is, I would never say this to a client, but like, I am not a person who like loosely and spontaneously changes my same day plan. No like way. I cannot mentally do that for you. It is a boundary practice, right? At the beginning in free consultation, setting the container. When I say that it's going to be 15 minutes, it's going to be it 15 is. minutes. And mm-hmm. I mean, not saying that, but no. you're showing through your actions. Are you going to be open about the way that you practice and, yeah. or are you going to be kind of cagey? Some of those things people are gauging based on the process of what's happening during the conversation. Like, oh, do they cut me off? Do they give Uh, space? Does it feel awkward? Because if it feels awkward, then maybe I don't want to book with them. Totally. This is something too that I'm realizing we didn't talk about, but that is so huge is that I think a lot of clients who are Black or Indigenous or people of color or immigrants or refugees, the consult is a really good place for them to ask, how do you handle? What work have you done to become more culturally safe? What work have you done to work on your anti-racism approaches if you're a white therapist, which of course is my only experience is being a white therapist. So if you are a white therapist and you see clients who are not white, which you know hopefully all of us do, you are prepared to answer questions about 
racism, how you see racism impacting clients, intersectionality. Those are very, very valuable questions and you should have an answer. Teresa in our interview, which hasn't aired at this point yet, um, but we have, yeah, so we have an upcoming interview with Teresa Thomas and we talk about racism and you'll get to hear it. But one thing that she talks about is the feeling of safety when someone says the word black. Alexandra also talked about it on her episode and using the word fat and being able to say the words. How do you bring up the topic? I hope then in your classes around diversity that this is just like a basic understanding of like bring up race. Honestly, I do not think that is giving programs a lot of credit. In my, in my, I took a diversity course, what, three years ago, whatever my first year was. While we talked about all the intersectionalities and I think and not, I mean, it wasn't great. Like Alexandra talked about, like we didn't talk about fat people. We didn't talk about that at all. We did talk about disabled people, but the conversations were not robust enough. There was nothing in that conversation about it should fall to us as the therapist to bring up the dynamic. There wasn't that, which is my personal belief that if there's a thing here that we're not naming, it should be on me to bring it up, not the client. But that's not what I was taught. And it's clumsy. And some, you know, people respond in a lot of different ways. A racialized person might be off put by you bringing up race like oh okay so you see me as other so it's very tender it's but perfect yeah i'm gonna bring it up gently you can talk about yourself too like i talk about my racial background and that kind of carves out space for other people to first of all see if that's somebody are you somebody i want to work with but also like hey we are ha- we're gonna have these conversations yeah i'm not going to avoid them just because they're uncomfortable as your therapist you can know that we can have hard conversations And this is where, again, it all comes back to the client and that they get to decide. Like if I give an explanation about my anti-racism work that is really clumsy and not well thought out for whatever reason, like it's messy, it's a hard conversation. And that client says, I actually need to work with someone who has that more well-rounded for themselves, is more eloquent in talking about it. That's completely fair, completely valid. There is no bad reason for a client. They're allowed to not book a session with you. And that's completely okay. If you realize that you've done something that's kind of awkward, if I look back and I go, wow, talking about race there was really awkward for me and I can see that I was very clumsy in it, then that points me in a direction of something that I can do more work on. And that's valuable. Yeah. It doesn't speak to your worth and also have some good self-reflection. Yeah. Is there something that I can do better? Is there some area in this that I can improve on? maybe practicing with somebody and seeing like, is there something that I'm missing? Mm-hmm. And if clients give you feedback, really taking that into account. Yeah, integrating, hearing it. Yeah. Wow. Who knew that there was so talking about a consult and like there's stuff here, really deep stuff and lots of layers. Yeah. What would you like to leave our listeners with? I do believe that consult is a really wonderful practice to have if you're going to be um, working as a clinician. And though it's kind of giving away your time for free, and I can see how that can be loaded, it does offer potential clients an opportunity to get to know you without having to make an investment. And I think that builds safety Mm -hmm. and practice, Mm -hmm. practice, 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 talking about these things that are big and hard to talk about, or just like your explanation takes seven minutes. You got to get that shorter. What do you want to leave our listeners with? Pay attention to the different layers and the stuff that it brings up for you and don't overthink it. So both. It's a conversation. It literally might have nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. Why a client doesn't book. 100%. And so do your best. We're continuing to learn. I'm sure that if I went back to doing consultations, I would still have skill to do it, but I would kind of have to get back in a rhythm. I haven't ridden the bike for a while. Mm -hmm. So the first little, first couple of rides are going to be clunky. 
We want to know what you think. Do you offer consults? Are you considering offering consults? Do you absolutely hate the idea for some reason that we haven't considered? We'd love to hear. Yeah. As always, you can send us a DM on Instagram or you can send us an email at connect at edgeofthecouch.com. And I hope that you come to you consider coming to our workshop where yeah. we're going to dive deeper into what's unique about you and what you might talk about, how you might talk about your work and yourself in a consultation. The workshops are so fun. Really get a chance to build community and there's a sense of sharing and oh my gosh, it's really, really fun for us and I hopefully participants too. So you'll take something away from it, but it is also just a really like connected, awesome time. We love doing the workshops. So that's going to be April 27th, 27th, 6 to 8 Mm -hmm. p.m. Pacific Pacific Standard Time. time. (laughs) Yeah. We'll give some more information out as we get closer. So we hope that you'll join us. See you next time. Hey there, my name is Katie and I'm part of the team here at Jane. You might be wondering, who is this Jane and why haven't we met before? Well, let me introduce you. Jane is an all-in-one practice management software designed to be helpful to you no matter how or where you practice. With Jane, you can book, chart, bill, and get paid all online. Head over to jane.app forward slash mental health to learn more about our mental health community's favorite features like one-on-one telehealth, online booking, and payment processing. All of these features were created to help you reduce your admin load and spend more time doing what you love, helping others. And for Edge of the Couch listeners, you can mention the podcast at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period applied to your account. A little gift from us to you. listening we'd love to hear from you send us an email at connect at edgeofthecouch.com to tell us what you think ask a question or let us know what type of episode you'd love to hear you can even send us a voice note for us to play in a future episode you can support us by giving us a review on apple podcasts sharing the show with a friend or supporting us on patreon join us next time at the edge of the couch